Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would speak to us, that this would not just be information, but Lord, you would speak through your word to do a work of transformation in our hearts. And God, as we come, we pray that you would uh, convict us, forgive us, lead us, guide us, show us more and more the depth of your love and your grace and your truth and your beauty. God, equip us today so that we can live faithfully for you as your disciples. Cause us, Lord, to have a heart for the lost and the poor in our community. And give us, Lord, the fullness of your spirit to live for you, we ask in your name. Amen. What are the marks or characteristics of a healthy meal? You might say right portion size or good nutrition. There's plenty of food products that are uh, unhealthy. There's plenty of real food that is healthy. And we know and can distinguish between what's healthy, what's not healthy, or at least we hope we can, right? We're able to identify what's healthy and what's not. What are the healthy characteristics of a good marriage? You might say communication or conflict resolution or patience. Faithfulness is a big one. I'm in the middle of doing pre-marriage counseling with uh, about four couples right now. And, and we hit the big ones, uh, communication, listening, forgiveness. These are key in a healthy long-term relationship like marriage, a covenant like marriage. So we can distinguish between good food, bad food. We can distinguish between poor and, and healthy marriages and, and the, the facets that make up healthy uh, life in these areas. But I want to ask today, what, what are the characteristics of a healthy community of faith, a church, a fellowship of believers, practices we may think of our worship, prayer, an emphasis on the Bible, an emphasis on Jesus, on ministry, on outreach, Hopefully, the community would be marked by love, by forgiveness. Hopefully, it has a range of ages, of cultures. And Tony Merida, in our Exodus reading this morning, suggests that we find here three essential attributes of a healthy community of believers. And actually, I want to add a fourth. The three that Tony points out for us are a reliance on God's power, the witness of the gospel, sharing the work of ministry, and I want to add, cultivating hospitality. What marks a healthy community of faith is reliance on God's power, a witness for the gospel, learning to share the ministry, and cultivating hospitality. Let's look at each of these in turn. The first is reliance on God's power. If you look at Exodus 17, verses 8 to 16, we find Israel in battle with the Amalekites. And we know from uh, Doug Stewart's research and his commentary on the Amalekites that this, this was a group that could go around attacking and plundering other people's wealth. They had camels. They were good at swooping in for sneak attacks. What's interesting is so far, Israel's enemies have come from within, at least on this, on this wilderness journey. Right? The first issues were their attitude of discontent and disbelief about food and water. They were unhappy with their leaders. They complained about it. Now they face an enemy outside of them. 
And healthy communities of faith, healthy churches need to be aware of this too. As Christians, we need to be aware of this, that there's opposition from within and there's opposition from outside. Both threats exist and we would be naive to forget that. There's persecution from outside the church and there's all sorts of issues inside. In fact, so many of Paul's letters in the New Testament are to churches dealing with issues within their ranks. We read here that Israel did use armed resistance. This is the first mention of Joshua. We may struggle a bit with that, but I, I'm going to leave that issue aside for now. I just want to make mention to recall that throughout the Old Testament, we see that God uses various nations to enact and bring his, his justice and his judgment on others. And this is in his timing and in his will. And uh, we soon discover, that said, that though there is a physical battle being waged, the heart of the issue is a spiritual battle. We have Joshua fighting on the ground with his troops, but the true battle, we could say, is being waged as Moses intercedes for them. Moses is on the hillside raising his staff, a symbol of power, a symbol of God's presence, God's promise over them. The battle is the Lord's. I have here my uh, my shepherd's staff that Doug McMillan made for me that uh, we also had at my ordination. You know, it's a symbol of the shepherd's role. And here Moses is... Uh, holding out his staff. This is the way in which God has uh, focused and used his power. So it's, it's, it's also him lifting his hands. And it's almost as though the degree to which Moses lifts his hands is the same degree to which the enemy is defeated. Moses is depending on God for this victory. He's raising his hands in prayer, in worship, in surrender to God. He's basically saying, God, this is out of my control. Will you help us? We need you. And, and it's worth saying, and, and Tony Meredith puts this in his commentary as I try and set this down without it crashing all over. There it is. We need courageous, uh, courageous Joshua-like warriors who will take the gospel to the hard places, to fight injustice, uh, to serve the needy. But we also need that to be done in a spirit of dependent prayer. And I think any of us who have ever gone on a missions trip or you've been involved in missions, uh, you know there's such a need, a, such a uh, strength, a gift to know there's people back home praying for you. I know when I was in Bible college, uh, you know, there's lots who were praying for me, my parents and family members and church members. But I, as I was preparing for this sermon, I remembered specifically a time I got a letter from Joe Crandall. And many of you will remember dear sister Joe, Grandma Joe, And uh, she had written out a bunch of Bible verses for me to look up. And uh, I remember going to the chapel in the college and just kind of pouring over these verses about God's guidance and God leading me in my life. And that was important as I was sort of navigating the world of young adulthood as a young 20-something, you know, that uh, there was people praying behind me. And I almost think of Joshua out on the battlefield. And maybe you feel like this. You're out in the world, out in life navigating, trying to, trying to figure out who you are. You know, it's so important to have a spiritual father or mother behind you, praying for you, whose arms are lifted up. And many of us uh, know we've had spiritual mothers or fathers who have done that for us. Or maybe you have been a spiritual mother or father to someone else. Or maybe today you think, I don't have that and I need someone in my corner. And I encourage you, if that's you, uh, get in touch with us at the church and we'd love to connect you with someone that could be a mentor for you. Faithful prayer, 
dependence on God is essential for any of our endeavors. And as we look ahead to the future, even even during things like COVID-19, the, the pastoral team and the board, we've been working together on uh, on our five-year vision. The pastoral team did some work, and now we've brought that to the board to have a, a fuller conversation about what that might look like. There's some great things that we want to emphasize moving forward. Missional outreach, uh, discipleship, you know, great stuff. And there's lots of plans and goals of things we can accomplish to meet those ideas. But all of it hinges on an attitude of faithful prayer, of, of giving this over to the Lord, our desire to win our city for Christ, our desire to see the Spirit move in our region uh, begins as we uh, submit to God in prayer, as we lift our hands and, and give the battle, give the worry over to God. I'm often reminded even as we're planning this vision, right, that uh, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And here Moses shows us where we face the battle, even the battle we experience as Christians in a secular culture here in Canada, um, that this is first a spiritual battle. And our greatest weapon, our greatest assurance is to rely on the power and the presence and the promise of God that he is with us. We are in a battle. We've been redeemed by Christ, but we are on our way we still face the enemy. We still face spiritual warfare. And, and, and let's not be naive about that. But just as Joshua received help from God through a mediator like Moses up on the hill, Moses, who had friends around him to support him, and we'll talk more about sharing that load together in a minute. But just as Joshua received help from God as Moses was mediating, now all who call upon God can receive his grace and his help through our mediator and intercessor, Jesus Christ. His intercession for our sin is complete. He is both the greater Moses and the greater Joshua. Romans 8.34 says, Jesus is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. His, uh, his uh, arms are lifted up for us. And as his arms were raised on the cross in intercession, the battle was won. So the first essential is that we rely on the presence and power of God in the midst of the difficulties and battles in our lives. And in Jesus, we have the hope and assurance that he has won the victory and he is with us. The second essential is a gospel witness. And I want you to turn your attention to chapter 18. Highlights Moses and Jethro's relationship. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. We get this peaceful moment after the battle. And the, the key here is this. Jethro, in verse 8, learns of all that God has done. Moses tells the story, the, the confrontation with Pharaoh, the plagues upon plagues upon plagues. And and Pharaoh's resistance, his hardening of his heart, and, and finally the darkness and the Passover lamb, the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians, and then freedom, and the exodus, and then the Red Sea, and then God leading them out again. And what is Jethro's response to this story? Look with me, chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And hear this. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. 
Jethro responds to the story of what God has done in Moses' life by believing in the Lord who rescued them. What moved Jethro? It was Moses' testimony of what God had done. He had seen Moses before the Exodus. Now he was seeing him after the Exodus and he could see the change in Moses' life, that this thing had happened. God had come through and rescued his people. Verse 11 is not unlike 2 Timothy 1.12. It says, I now know the one I believe in. Now I know God is real. This is almost the essence of what Jethro says. And then look at verse 12. What is his response? Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Remember, he's a high priest in Midian. Brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Notice God's heart of eating with us, which we'll see right through from Genesis to Revelation, especially with the Lord's Supper right there. But eating together as the symbol and mark that Jethro is now part of the family of God. He is with them, with Israel, showing a faithfulness, showing a, an obedience, a willingness to come before God and to worship. And he demonstrates his commitment to God. And the call for us here is clear. We are to be ready to share the good news. Your testimony matters. What has God done in your life? Moses was ready to share God's grace and salvation with Jethro. Acts 20.24 says, We too, we testify of the gospel of God's grace. Jethro is a Midianite. And here we're seeing Israel's, uh, the, the promise, the blessing of God, the calling of God upon them from Genesis 12 and so on, to be a blessing to the nations, witnessing, to reach out to those around them. And the reminder again that God is calling from every tribe and tongue and nation. All every people group are welcomed here at the table. And friends, it's through Jesus' deliverance from sin and death, from the cross and the resurrection, that makes all of us invited, all of us available to come and to receive from God, to be part of this family. So, gospel sharing. Sharing the good news, the testimony that you have, what God has done in your life, is, is so important. Have you shared it? Is there someone you could share it with today? I want you to notice, too, the context of when Moses is sharing this with Jethro. And that brings us to the next essential, cultivating hospitality. In verse 7, Moses goes out to meet Jethro, and he shows this respect and this affection. He asks about his well-being. How was the trip? And they, you can almost see them arms around each other now heading into the tent it's a, it's a passing moment, but it's, you know, it's easy to miss, but it's essential. The gospel is best presented in the context of a loving relationship. Notice the warmth, the hospitality, the friendship, the respect between Moses and Jethro. Friends, I think we're to conduct ourselves this way also. When it comes to sharing the gospel, we don't do so with a, sort of beating someone over the head with it, but we do it in the context of a, of a respectful dialogue of ideally a warm relationship around the table, perhaps it might be. 1 Peter 3.15 puts it this way, Quietly trust yourself to Christ your Lord, and if anybody asks why you believe as you do, be ready to tell him, and do it in a gentle 
and respectful way. That's from the Living Bible. Moses sits down with Jethro, and you can imagine, here they are, eating and drinking, sharing a meal in the tent. Jethro believes they go out and worship, and there's a meal shared together before God. You know, there's been a tremendous movement in the recent years in in the evangelical church to recapture the spirit of community and fellowship and eating together. I recently read this book called We Will Feast, and uh, it's been a really, really interesting read. It's not super long, um, but it's about uh, the dinner church movement, people coming together to eat together and have a service around the table. Um, it's called Rethinking Dinner, Worship in the Community of God. Um, from different different traditions, there's some examples where they clearly believe something quite different from what I would, but that aside, the idea of coming together around a meal brings together hospitality. Usually there's an element of caring for the poor, but of seeking to live out the fellowship of the gospel. I'm also reading another book. I don't know if I have it here in front of me um, or where it is exactly, but it's called uh, Don't Invite Them to Church. And, and the idea, of, I mean, of course we can invite people to church, but the idea is instead of just trying to get them to come in the door, to go and to be the church, uh, to be living witnesses in our community, learning to love our neighbors, praying for them, inviting them into our homes, blessing them. And I wonder, those two books and, and all that sort of thinking has really been sitting with me lately. I just wonder what God has in store for us as I'm praying and thinking about, you know, how do we reach our city? Is he calling us uh, to have a, 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 to start something like the dinner church movement? Is he calling us to, to make a point of eating together with the people uh, downtown, inviting us to reach out our na- to our neighbors, especially during COVID, to ask how they are, how can we help, uh, to simply be a friend, to learn to pray for them, to bless them. Um, I don't know where all of that leads, but but it stirs my spirit, and there's something God's doing uh, worldwide to that end as well. And I guess I would just ask for us this morning: Do you know? The people beside you in your neighborhood, or perhaps you're, uh, you know, the people across the street, or maybe you're in an apartment building, the people across the hall, uh, across the field, perhaps. Um, what would it look like if we took Jesus' words about loving our neighbors, and obviously that means everyone, but really meant our neighbors, and just prayerfully sought to love the people that God has planted us next to? What would that look like? What if you're the only Christian on your street, or on your floor in your building, or uh, in your classroom, or whatever that might look like? What do people see? Do they see the love and the gentleness and the care of God extended to the people around you? And do you have opportunity to testify about what God has done in your life? And you may be surprised how people respond. And I encourage you to pray into that. It's not a guilt trip thing, but I just invite you to let the Spirit stir your heart, a desire to love the people around you and to put down roots and to to start to extend God's grace and hope to your neighbors. So here's where we're at. First essential for healthy communities. We see them relying on God's power through prayer, especially in the battle. The second essential, we saw Moses sharing what God has done, testifying, sharing the gospel with others. And the third essential is cultivating warm hospitality with our neighbors. And that context becomes really key for sharing the gospel, actually. And our fourth and final essential for healthy communities of faith, as Tony Merida has put it. And I'll just, I'll show you, here's Tony's book. Uh, this is his commentary here, and I've been using this to, as, as we walk through this series, Christ-Centered Exposition. It's been excellent, so I just uh, want to refer you to that. But the fourth and final essential of a healthy community of faith 
a healthy church body is sharing the work of ministry. And this is Exodus 18, verses 13 to 26. Jethro sees, after their conversation, maybe the next day, I don't remember exactly what it says. Yeah, the next day, verse 13. Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. The guy is swarmed, he is swamped with the demands of leadership. (laughs) Uh, Meredith says it's like he's the judge, the counselor, the police, the theologian, the pastor, all rolled into one, right? This role of leadership is all-encompassing and all-demanding. There's no end to the amount of things he can do. There's always one more thing. There's always, well, just this one more thing to deal with. And Jethro sees Moses trying to faithfully fulfill the role as a leader. And he asks him, I think this is verse 14. He says, uh, what are you doing? What is this thing you're doing? What, what are you up to? Right? And, and Moses says, you know, essentially they, they come asking about God. They have their disputes. I decide between them, uh, from one person to the next. And I make known to them the statues of God. And Moses is basically saying he's being the mediator, right? The, the people come with issues and they're asking about things related to their lives, related to their faith. And Moses is talking to God about that and helping them understand and trying to teach them. But he's also helping deal with the petty daily everyday ordinary disputes and issues that happen between people. And remember, we're talking potentially up to 2 million people or or somewhere in that range, you know, trying to get appointments with the guy. I mean, you thought getting an appointment with your doctor was bad, you know, <laughs> which I'm really thankful, actually. It's, I feel like it's much better than it's ever been uh, recently. But um, and I'm really thankful for our doctors and our nurses, especially during this time, but all the time, really bless you guys. But here's Moses getting absolutely swarmed with every issue. And he says, well, here's what I'm doing. And Jethro's response in verse 17 is so good. He just looks at him and says, what you're doing is not good. (laughs) It's like, Moses, this isn't good. Why isn't it good? Verse 18, he says, you and the people will wear yourselves out. Not just Moses is going to wear himself out, but the people are going to get worn out with this whole arrangement as well. This thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. I love that Jethro recognizes that Moses is headed for ministry burnout. And both he and the people are going to crash and burn in frustration and potentially anxiety and disappointment if something isn't changed. And Jethro can see that Moses needs to learn to practice what we nowadays call ministry resilience uh, uh, so that he can set up, uh, learn that he can't do it all. Learn that he has to take care of himself, set up healthy boundaries, set up healthy systems so that Moses can be in it for the long haul or else the demands will be too much and he's going to crash and burn. His current rate, though it's working, and I want to say that some of you, uh, you work way too much, you know, um, and, and I, I mean, I learned this over the last few years. Some of us, we just work way too much and we think, well, it's working right now. But Moses here, his current rate, though it was working at the moment, was not sustainable for the long haul. And some of you may say, well, hey, it's okay right now. I'm just going to keep going. Um, but you cannot sustain the energy you've been giving for another 10 years. And you'll you'll lose your family along the way or something worse, your own health, perhaps. Um, I remember uh, it was one year after being coming back and resuming my role here as lead pastor after being uh, in BC at grad school. It was within the first year that I started uh, having 
I think it was within the first year, I started having major panic attacks and, and really dealing with anxiety. And when I phoned the clergy care network and talked to the counselor from Focus on the Family, and I told him what I was experiencing and how I was feeling, he said, you're headed for burnout. And I remember saying to him, how can I be headed for burnout? I've only been back for a year. But he said, no, you're, you're not well. You need to make some changes in order to stay healthy. And that has led us on a road towards getting help, um, counseling, uh, seeing doctors, changing how I go about my workday, trying to get better exercise, trying to care for my own health. Obviously, a whole prayer and spiritual component of caring for myself. And it's been quite a journey. Um, and some of you are in a place where you are wrestling and struggling with what's going on in life and you may need to set up healthy boundaries of self-care for your mental health for your physical health uh, in order to persevere it may be that what you're doing right now feels like it works but it's not sustainable for the long term and that's what moses discovers here in act six we read the same thing the first apostles are swarmed with the work to do there's there's uh, some people in need in their community widows we read specifically that they're trying to care for and they they just don't have Essentially, the manpower, the, the ability to do everything. We, you can't be everything. The work can be demanding, whether you're in church ministry or you're in the marketplace, wherever you might be at home, moms with kids, you know what it feels like to be swarmed, right? And, and that it's all day, every day. And without healthy boundaries in our in our lives, that there will always be things that demand our time and attention. That's why Sabbath becomes so important. For us to realize this is not about me being addicted to my busyness. This is about me being willing to set aside a day to trust that God will look after things in my life. And it's not dependent on me just getting on that wheel and running like crazy to try and keep on top of things. Right? That's what Sabbath does. So Jethro's advice, just like the uh, the apostle, uh, the wisdom of the apostles in Acts 6, where they, they, they get other people to help them, is the same. Jethro says... You need to share the ministry. And the apostles say, we need to share the ministry. We need to find other people to come alongside us and help us. And Moses, just like the apostle centuries later, learns that he needs to delegate some of the leadership task to people under him. Moses doesn't stop his role. He doesn't stop his task. He's still mediating the people to God in prayer and, and giving God's instruction and teaching to the people. Jethro doesn't tell him to stop that. Jethro does tell him, develop some clear organizational structure that'll help so you can succeed in the long term. Find capable leaders to shepherd under you. Find under shepherds to help shepherd the people. And notice they have certain uh, characteristics or qualities. This is right out of scripture. So when we have, for instance, when we're looking for leaders in the church um, and we say, hey, there's some certain requirements here. Um, you know, we need to make sure that you, you're an upright person and there's a maturity to you that's coming right from the Bible. There's an idea of, of, um, you know, just your, a person's willingness to serve is not the same as their ability to serve. And so there's a call here to discern who is capable of, uh, being trustworthy of, of being able to lead. And there's different, different positions of leadership. If you look at verse 21, it says, Place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and every great matter they will bring to you. But any small matter they can decide for themselves. It'll be easier for you. They'll bear the burden 
with you. They'll bear the leadership task with Moses. And what is the, what does he say at the end, Jethro? He says, if you do this, if you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure and the people also will go to their place in peace. It's going to be good both for Moses and for the people if they learn to delegate and have this structure going. Um, only the great matters go up to the top. Um, and so we live this out even in our own church, right? As much as I'm the pastor, we have a, a plurality of qualified elders who together share the care of the flock. But even our pastoral team doesn't do everything. We oversee the work of ministry. But Ephesians 4 tells us that uh, it's actually God's people who we help equip to do the work of ministry. Everyone's called to serve. My job is not to do all the ministry. My job is to help equip you to do the ministry that God has called you to. Some of us are appointed to leadership. That's our part to play. But every Christian has a part to play in the body of Christ. You can pray for people. You can make, make a meal for someone in the helps ministry. You can help teach Sunday school. You can volunteer in the school. Obviously, areas where you're dealing with vulnerable uh, persons, there's more requirements because there's a greater charge of responsibility, right? But you can help with youth. You can help with maintenance around the building. You can help with outreach or evangelism or prayer. We can serve one another and care for each other, reaching out to the lost. But I love that Jethro says here, this is what's going to help preserve you and help preserve the people in the long run. Learn to have a healthy system of, uh, of organizational leadership where people are delegated specific tasks to help bear the burden. It doesn't all fall to you. And here I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone. Nicholas, it's not all on your shoulders. You can, you can hand some of that over to others who are more than capable. And I'm so thankful. I just want to say this right now as I'm heading to the end. I'm so blessed by our elders and our board and the work that they do. They really are tremendous and they're so well equipped to serve in their roles. And so thankful for all of you from worship ministry to helps, discipleship with youth and kids, the school, our outreach, our healing rooms, all these various areas where um, there's ministry work to be done. And there's so many who are serving scripture reading, communion prep, um, behind the scenes stuff, maintenance work. And you are... Uh, doing a fantastic job. Be blessed. And I just encourage you to continue to give. It's a sacrificial thing to give of your time and to choose to serve. God honors that. It blesses his heart and it shapes our hearts as well to give in a, in a tangible way towards the work of the ministry and the kingdom of God. So in conclusion, what makes up a healthy community of faith? We need to know God's power, especially to seek him in the spiritual battles. We need to speak the good news. We need to uh, foster hospitality and relationship, uh, perhaps especially with our neighbors, especially right now. We need to share the ministry of the body of Christ. And so that we, like Jethro and Moses, can gather together at that table, rallying around Jesus and enjoy the fellowship and the life together because of the finished work of Christ at the cross. So today... Where are you called to pray? What is the issue that you feel you need to raise your hands up? Is there people you can come alongside to help lift their arms? Is there someone you need to come alongside you to help lift your arms? Where are you called to pray? To whom are you called to testify? Who can you share the good news with?
Where can you foster healthy relationships? Is there a person in your sphere, in your community, in your neighborhood that you can reach out to this week? And fourth, where can you serve in ministry, both within the walls of the church, but also beyond the walls of the church, but within the ministries of the church, outreach, discipleship, fellowship? Where are you called to serve and can you do that? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, uh, Lord, your power is available. We just reach out to you in prayer, even now for the issues in our world, and pray, Lord, that you would be at work interceding on behalf of those who are on the front lines in, in battle, Lord. We come to you in prayer for our plans and our vision and our, our purposes. We ask that you would come, that you would uh, step or, step alongside surround those whose arms are raised for issues in their families marriages workplaces and their arms are tired lord we pray that you would uphold and support and bring along those that can come alongside those who are weary today lord we pray for opportunities to testify opportunities to share our faith lord give us hearts of compassion and care to reach out to those around us who don't know you and Lord, for those of us who are in places of leadership or who feel the burden of work, help us to learn to share in the ministry together. Realize this is not all on one person, but we are all called to play our part in the body of Christ. We love you, Jesus. Teach us to pray. Teach us to testify. Teach us to love our neighbors. Teach us to serve together well. We ask these things in your name. Amen.